This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Macro Viewpoint from HSBC Global Research, our weekly podcast featuring the views of leading HSBC analysts on the outlook for the global economy and markets. I'm Piers Butler. And I'm Chris Brown-Humes. Coming up on this week's podcast, as countries seek to emerge from the pandemic, we speak to Stephen King, Senior Economic Advisor, to find out what he thinks it will take for economies to build back better. We look at the latest news developments around the AstraZeneca vaccine and the broader COVID-19 picture across Europe with Fabio Balboni, Senior European Economist. And we'll finish up with a look at what the latest PMI data can tell us about the recovery with James Pomeroy, Global Economist. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, the 8th of April, 2021. Our full disclosures and disclaimers can be found in the link attached to this podcast. As countries look to emerge from COVID-19 enforced lockdowns in the months ahead, how can they build their economies back better? That's what Stephen King, Senior Economic Advisor, has been looking at this week. He joins us now. So, Stephen, when you say build back better, build back better from what? Well, there are a number of areas where you could build back better. Uh, You could build back greener. You could build back fairer. Uh, But this particular uh, piece focuses on building back stronger, really, because long before the pandemic, uh, the Western developed world had a number of problems associated with very low growth, uh, very weak productivity gains, excessively low inflation, uh, very low wage growth, and very low interest rates. So for all those reasons, you'd really want to see uh, you know, a lasting improvement compared with the experience of recent years. So how are we going to get this lasting improvement? Well, this is a major puzzle. Um, there are two ways you can try to do it. The first is to try to boost demand, and the other is to operate on, on supply. But I think you can also say, you know, what would you hope to have achieved? Let's imagine we're 10 years into the future what would look like success. And I think there are, there are two things that you'd really hope to achieve at the end of the day. The first would be significantly faster productivity gains because that's effectively the secret source that raises living standards over the long term, where it's been so disappointing in recent years. Um, and the second is really to have a higher return on capital, which of course is consistent with faster productivity gains. That of course also implies you'd hope to end the period uh, with significantly higher real interest rates than we have currently. So you kind of want to escape from this weird low interest rate trap that uh, we've been experiencing in recent times. Now, there are two ways of doing that. The first is to operate on on demand, um, which is effectively what Joe Biden and his team are doing in America. And the other is to try to focus on what's causing the shortfall of productivity by focusing on supply. So demand, first of all, I mean, one way you can try to lift productivity and lift interest rates is simply to go for a big fiscal and monetary boost and and hope you can kind of reboot the economy, set it to a higher sort of growth trajectory than would otherwise have been the case. And that's fine, but it comes with risks. Um, And we've seen some of those risks already in the first three months of this year with with rising bond yields. But the main risk really is that if you have a combination of rising bond yields and possibly higher inflation, um, then the markets begin to question whether the Federal Reserve, for example, really would keep interest rates low for a very, very long period of time. And then you've got the risk of some kind of reaction in riskier assets, you know, you know, fall in stock prices or whatever it might be, uh, which takes you back to square one. It basically means you can't really get going in the way that you would 
really want to get going. Um, so you end up in a trap still of low growth and low interest rates. So that's the trap, as you mentioned. But what ways other than through monetary and fiscal policy could this be done? Well, there are some long term solutions. Um, and you know, some of these people talk about quite a lot. But of course, they are difficult to fix uh, in the kind of political uh, cycle. But the long term solutions really are mostly about improvements in education outcomes, uh, trying to improve geographical and um, social mobility so people who might be good at something have the opportunity to prove themselves as being good at something. Um, perhaps also changes in regulatory and competitive environments to try to encourage better companies to come through and to, and to thrive. Um, but at the same time, there's a peculiar sort of link between monetary policy and the supply side story, uh, which is possibly a perverse link whereby monetary policy, particularly in the guise of QE and asset purchases more generally, is actually a process of nationalizing capital markets, uh, giving false signals really within capital markets and therefore leading to a misallocation of capital. And if this is happening, and I think there is some evidence to support this idea, uh, then of course, what you're doing on monetary policy is counterproductive in terms of boosting productivity. And that I think is a serious problem for policymakers in the years ahead. Stephen, this is a, a fairly downbeat message coming at a time when actually things are looking up a bit, vaccines are rolling out, world economies are improving. Uh, you're throwing a cold shower on everything. Well, I'm trying not to. I'm simply looking beyond the next few months. There's no doubt that you know, with the vaccine uh, process um, coming through this year um, and unlocking taking place, there's a very, very good chance of seeing very, very powerful recoveries coming through. And after all, everything fell off a cliff uh, last year. We got the opportunity this year to climb back up the cliff. Um, that's genuinely very good news. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the pandemic comes after many, many years of disappointing economic outcomes, uh, particularly in you know growth, inflation, productivity, and wages, and so on. And if you really want to build back better, it's not just a, a case of dealing with the near-term unlocking. You've got to deal with these longer-term issues as well. Um, and that's where I think there are still some significant dangers ahead that we, we may well find a very strong recovery coming through in the next year or so, but simply leads to complacency with regard to the longer term challenges. Stephen, thanks very much indeed for that summary. Thank you. Let's turn to the latest developments on the COVID-19 front, where here in Europe, the news flow this week has been dominated by rising concerns over the safety of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Let's get the details from Fabio Balboni, senior European economist. Fabio, let's start with the AstraZeneca vaccine. What's the latest there? This has been dominating the headliner. So um, the European Medicine Agency has confirmed a possible link between uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine and rare blood clots. Uh, and um, however, the, the EMA has also reiterated that the risk benefit ratio remain in favor of using the vaccine as recommended its use with no age restrictions. Uh, despite that, however, uh, we have seen countries uh, continuing to have have uh, restrictions uh, in some cases related to age. Uh, in other cases, like the Netherlands, uh, suspending the use of the vaccine altogether. And even in the UK, uh, which has used uh, AstraZeneca extensively so far, the regulator has recommended that people aged between 18 and 29 should be offered an alternative to the vaccine. So obviously, that could have implication in terms of the rollout uh, of vaccine going forward uh, and the ability of countries to hit their targets uh, in terms of herd immunity. What's the broader COVID-19 picture across Europe? 
Well, over the Easter break, we've been a bit of a, a slowdown in terms of pace of vaccination and also new COVID-19 cases have eased off a little. But that might be a one-off, so we need to see what happens uh, in the coming weeks to have a, a more um, a stable picture of what's going forward. But what's important in hospitalization rate and in particularly intensive care unit uh, across the continent continue to increase, putting pressure on the health sector, and that means that... Uh, uh, countries are still maintaining restrictions in place. Uh, and for example, most recently, the um, Italian Minister for Regional Affairs confirmed that there won't be any meaningful loosening of restrictions before uh, May. Um, otherwise, uh, when we look at the UK, actually the UK has confirmed the planned loosening of restrictions from uh, uh, the 12th of April and so far remains uh, on track for meeting the following steps in terms of losing restrictions. So the situation in the UK uh, is still looking uh, better. What's the latest economic data showing us? Well, the latest data have been fairly positive uh, uh, over the last few days. Uh, we've had the final PMIs for March, and in particular, we saw an upward revision to the services PMI, uh, which uh, was quite surprising considering uh, the renewed lockdown uh, extended in some cases, in some cases even tightened up over the Easter period. Uh, so that shows the underlying resilience of the economies, and in particular, the forward-looking indicators were looking strong across both the services services and the manufacturing sector. We then add uh, more data pointing to the resilience of the labor market, uh, in particularly March data for Germany and Spain show that short-term work compensation schemes coming down and the underlying labor market data looking a little bit better. So that bodes well for uh, a relatively quick recovery once restrictions will be uh, lifted. And similarly in the UK, the labor market is looking healthy. Uh, and finally, retail says uh, uh, these are looking weaker particularly through to February, but that's largely expected against the background, of course, of renewed uh, restrictions. So, so far, uh, the data is uh, looking good, but of course, in terms of data going forward, much will depend on the pace of vaccination, and that will really drive when countries might be able to um, lift the, the restrictions, and with that, uh, economic activity returning to uh, normal levels. Fabio, thank you very much. Thank you. Fabio mentioned the PMI data there. The latest global numbers are out, and James Pomeroy, global economist, is here to bring us up to speed with what they can tell us about the recovery. So, James, those PMI numbers were good. How good were they? Yes, please. So, the Global PMIs in March were incredibly strong. You know, the composite PMI hit a six and a half year high. The manufacturing PMIs up at a decade high in the service sector. Um, even that, the, the part of the economy that suffers most from restrictions and, and higher cases up at a three um, year high on a global basis. So all the activity numbers looking pretty good. Um, but it's also interesting that that's feeding through into prices. And we know there's a lot of input cost pressures facing companies across the world at the moment, be that higher commodity prices, be it higher shipping costs, semiconductor shortages, um, or pandemic-related expenses. And we're seeing those numbers shoot up. And that's both on the manufacturing side and the services side, particularly um, in the US, where those input price numbers are considerably higher um, than they have been at any point um, in history. So we are looking at an environment here where there's a strong um, rebound in activity, um, but clearly a lot of pricing pressures um, coming through um, for companies across the world. So let's break it down. The services sector looks strong, even in places where we've had lockdowns. 
Yes, that's exactly right. And as Fabio sort of alluded to on the on the Eurozone side of things, we had this pickup in the service sector PMIs in Europe, even where we've had um, more restrictions come in or restrictions extended um, as COVID case numbers have picked up. And that is a little bit surprising. But what's not quite as surprising is how you've seen in those parts of the world where the outlook in terms of reopening is looking more positive. So notably um, the US and the UK, where vaccine rollouts have been much quicker and therefore there's a clearer path maybe to towards um, reopening in the course of the coming months. The US number is incredibly strong um, with the ISM services um, figure hitting a record high. So clearly these are incredibly strong um, numbers. It is worth highlighting though two um, countries did see their um, PMI services roll back and um, they're India uh, and Brazil, um, two countries where we have had a pickup in cases um, that clearly um, has weighed on a little bit of sentiment in the sector. And when it comes to manufacturing, the strength there is really broad based. It really is. And now only a handful of economies have got a manufacturing PMI that's still in contractionary territory, Mexico, Thailand and Malaysia, and even those improved in March too. And then you've got some parts of the world, particularly in Europe, where we've got extremely strong manufacturing and PMIs. Germany's is, is now at a record high. And this is really sort of broad based improvement in the manufacturing data that's been building over the past few months as we've seen a continued um, resilience of demand for goods um, in the global economy. And the one economy where there is a slightly weaker uh, manufacturing PMI is uh, mainland China. Um, But it's also worth noting that we saw a stronger recovery there in the second half of um, 2020. So this may be a little bit of a normalization. But by and large, the global manufacturing sector is looking in pretty good shape right now. James, thanks very much. Thank you. So that's all from us today. Thanks to Stephen King, Fabio Balboni and James Pomeroy for talking to us. From Piers and me, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.